Dare Call It Ordinary, the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the dictatorial Brent and the despotic Forrest. <laughs> wow. All right, Dylan, Very we're taking over the podcast. You are no longer the main host. Goodbye. <sighs> this is what I tried to warn against. <laughs> yep, it's the end game of a neocon, so... I'm being usurped as we speak. No, but I'm just <laughs> kidding, people. I'm kidding. Everyone always gets all upset in the media. They get upset when I say things like that. And they'll say, oh, Forrest <laughs> is trying to be a dictator. It's a joke. But no, they're just fake. Just exactly. kidding. Yeah, clearly Forrest is trying to liberate the podcast. <laughs> it's a very different yeah. thing. And before we start today, we have a few announcements. First, we have a new patron. We have After the Snap from the True Crime by the Book podcast. Thank oh, you so wow. very much. Nice. Thank you for your very patronage. Nice. We appreciate it greatly. And we have another Patreon announcement. We've been trying to figure out what we were going to do once we hit 25 patrons. We wanted to do something big. We had some plans for a t-shirt giveaway, but that's totally not allowed. <laughs> and so this is what we're going to do instead. Last week on our Frank Dukes episode, we talked about his autobiography, The Secret Man, which details his quote unquote true story <laughs> about being part of the CIA and all sorts of fancy adventures. It's 300 pages. Well, I ordered a copy of that book and I now own a copy of that book, a first edition copy of that yeah. book, by the way. And we will be doing a bonus series. Yes, series on that book dedicated <laughs> to all the sleights of hand and misnomers it contains. And so once we hit 25 patrons, you will all get a chance to listen to that series. And I am very excited to spend a significant chunk of my time reading that book. So it's not Frank Dukes today, but what are we talking about on this episode, Don? Well, what we're talking about on this episode are three little words, M. S.G. This food additive has been derided for several decades now, and it's been around for several decades longer. And we wanted to talk about all the scaremongering and scare truthering surrounding this little chemical. And we're going to start by talking about the rise of MSG. This is part of the narrative you're probably not as familiar with how it came to become so popular in the first place. According to the article, A Short History of MSG, Good Science, Bad Science, and Taste Cultures, MSG was first isolated by Ikeda Kukune in 1908. The source of MSG was sea kelp that was the primary flavor in konbu dashi, the standard Japanese broth. And this needs to be made crystal clear right up top because so many people get this wrong. MSG was not invented. It was not synthesized. It was isolated. It was mm -hmm. discovered. It was something already in this sea kelp that Kukane was able to isolate whoa. and purify. Whoa, whoa. So hold on. <laughs> Why then are alternative health people so anti-MSG? I mean, it's all natural. Yeah. Anything natural is good, and that is not a logical fallacy. Any philosophy PhD will tell you that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Including this yeah, one. I, yeah, I, I thought you would. I, you know, I personally just take a Rompolian isolationist policy towards my food. So this checks out for me. Yeah. Any food that's been isolated, yeah, is isolated from the, the community of foods <laughs> is good, is good stuff. Kukune even coined the term for the flavor itself, which I think we're all now familiar with, umami. 
He was inspired to isolate MSG by late 19th century ideas that flavor aided digestion. Thus, tasty food meant nutritious food. MSG, or its brand name at the time, Ajinomoto, or Essence of Taste, was not a success at first. The Suzuki Chemical Company, whom Kukane had brought MSG to in order to mass produce, originally marketed it to soy sauce brewers and restaurateurs who frankly wanted nothing to do with the stuff. They just were not interested. Yeah, because they're a bunch of soy boys. Yeah. That's the whole reason. (laughs) Exactly. They don't have the guts to handle MSG. The Suzuki Chemical Company first saw success when they decided to market MSG to a new demographic, bourgeois Japanese housewives. You know, I actually knew that fact, and I learned that watching the discreet charm of the MSG, which is a really great (laughs) art film. Ah, Brunwell film. Check it out from Criterion Collection. It's really good. (laughs) Excellent. These new class of Japanese housewives saw food preparation as too complicated for, quote, ignorant servants and thus took on cooking duties themselves. They were receptive to scientific approaches to nutrition, and thus MSG had a natural place in their kitchens. Along with the other popular scientific chemical, NaOCl. And if ingesting horribly harmful substances like bleach interests you, you should check out our MMS Bleach Cure episode. Just a little plug there right in the middle. But seriously, if you are interested in ingesting bleach, you need to drop some of your interests. Those are not (laughs) helping you succeed and be healthy. By 1931, the Ajinomoto Company began selling salt shaker-like bottles for dining tables rather than the kitchen. MSG was, officially, part of the Japanese home. Whereas MSG became ascendant in Japan through the private home and the salt shaker bottle, in Taiwan its popularity started in restaurants and the, quote, square, gold-colored, one-kilogram can. Restaurants wanted to show that they were using authentic Ajinomoto and not one of the imitation brands developing at the time. Taiwan took to MSG much more quickly than in Japan, due both to Taiwanese cooks already using powdered spices in their cooking and the need for Taiwanese street food to be heavily flavored. However, MSG was a harder sell in China, where giant billboards advertising Ajinomoto were seen as signs of Japanese imperialism and thus a source of protests. <laughs> I've always said to Mike Pompeo, take the MSG, take the MSG. Maybe we'll have another chance. Who knows? Well, you know, if only these Chinese people understood that the roots of MSG are rooted in Japanese isolationism. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. If only. I don't think they would have bought it. No, you're right. Probably not. To take advantage of this outburst of culinary nationalism, the Tianchu, <laughs> or Heavenly Kitchen oh. Company, began selling its own MSG with the following pitch, quote, the national taste essence, an entirely domestic product, not the same as the import, better than a Ginomoto and fairly priced. I think that's the polar opposite of Gordon Ramsay's kitchen nightmares. It would be Heavenly Kitchen. And also, um, Tianchu, it's the Trump of food additives. <laughs> you know, the, the the slogan should be MMSGCA, make MSG Chinese again. Uh-huh. That's really the slogan they should have went with. There you go. But now, you know, we're all isolationists here, clearly. So the only people that matter are America. So how did we started eating it? Because that's where all the kerfluffle yeah. eventually starts. Just as MSG became popular in China from native producers, it also became popular in Chinese restaurants in the United States, but it took World War II to boost non-Chinese attendance at Chinese restaurants. Oh, okay, well, well, there you go. When the Temptations sang that song, War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Well, they're wrong. They were just wrong. 
It's funny, I originally read this and I was about to school you on this until I learned that The Temptations did, in fact, sing the original version of that song, which is just incredible. Uh, because the single was Edwin Starr, yeah. but they actually, they are the first to put it on an album. So oh, yeah, I did my research one to Brent. Non-Chinese Americans became more favorable to Chinese culture due to sympathy for the Chinese after the Japanese invasion and the recognition of Chiang Kai-shek as an official U.S. ally. As a result, quote, non-Chinese started exploring the Chinatowns in their cities and the Chinese who ran diners and grocery shops for non-Chinese clientele began selling Chinese food. And it's sad that before, they purposefully didn't include <laughs> Chinese food in their stores. That's really sad. But the true popularity of MSG had a very different origin, the military-industrial complex. Oh, oh, I thought it was born out of isolationism. Oh, man, now I'm confused. No, 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 no. That was in China. Oh, yeah, it was in China. It was nationalism in China. It was isolationism <laughs> in Japan. That's true. And in America, MSG is the official food of American globalism. <laughs> That's really oh, what's going on. Just as military technology gave us the hellscape of the Internet, they also gave us the industrialized food processing industry. Eisenhower, as a matter of fact, warned us about all this in his farewell address. In fact, I got the quote right here. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted sea kelp, whether sought or unsought, by the monosodium glutamate industrial complex. Yeah, yeah. We've actually all heard of kleptocracy. We've heard that before. This, sadly, was the day that kelptocracy was born. So that's... Oh. <laughs> The interest in MSG can be best explained by Colonel John D. Peterman, quartermaster of the Food and Container Institute, quote, flavorless rations can undermine morale as quickly as any other single factor in military life. You know, I think this is what drove Private Pyle to hide that jelly donut in his unlocked locker and full metal jacket. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was already in a world of shit because he didn't have MSG to make that shit taste <laughs> amazing. He was just stuck with what he had. Private Pyle, where's your MSG? Military interest in MSG meant that the civilian food processing industry was also interested. And this only increased with the boom of frozen foods. But this all changed starting in the 1960s, which Brent is going to talk about now. This is when the tide turns against MSG. So according to a U.S. News and World Report article titled Scientists Have Known MSG is Safe for Decades, Why Don't Most Americans? This whole MSG scare began in 1968 with a letter to the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. The author, whose name was Robert Homan Kwok, expressed feeling weakness, heart palpitations, and losing feeling in his arm after eating Chinese food. So, I, you know, guys, I have to say, as a sort of connoisseur of disgusting Chinese buffets growing up in a small town in the Midwest, I think this author has it all wrong. It's not heart irregularities and numbness, but rather stomach cramps from food poisoning and things like that. Oh. Just slightly different ailment. But See, honestly, the only different. thing I've suffered going to a cheap Chinese buffet is a great deal. Those places are awesome. <laughs> That's good. good There's food. actually a little bit of a hometown story from Las Vegas. There was a Kmart that closed and all of the shops in the strip mall next to it closed except one, and it was a cheap Chinese buffet, and it was incredible. And it lasted for years after that Kmart closed. That's how powerful it was. That's amazing. That is the, that's the real power of MSG. It can keep you. It can help you survive. So the author stated that his discomfort could have come from the high sodium content of the food, or possibly even the wine the food was cooked in. But he did also mention MSG. 
And thus, the MSG panic begins. So according to the U.S. News and World Report article, quote, the letter still was enough to spur the public to associate these symptoms with a new condition called Chinese restaurant syndrome. But I still think it sounds better than Chinese buffet syndrome, but that's yeah. just I'm, I'm a little biased with that. Yeah, so. I think buffet buff, uh, buffets feel more disease ridden than restaurants, <laughs> and they probably are, frankly, let's just yes. be honest. It, yeah. it should be noted that the New England Journal of Medicine itself titled the letter Chinese Restaurant Syndrome uh, and the name stuck. So it's really very directly Jesus. their fault. So what really caused the author's symptoms? In a Washington Post article, it states, quote, instead, historians and researchers have blamed the initial symptoms that Kwok and others attributed to MSG on a variety of other sources. Excess sodium or alcohol consumed with restaurant meals, a version of the placebo effect, growing skepticism of corporations and deep-seated anti-Asian prejudice. But as we all know, every historian that's ever lived are nothing but a bunch of SJWs. Yeah, so yeah. take what they have to say with a grain of MSG, the guys. Come on. The sliver of a crystal of MSG. But see, the usual anti-SJWs, they would be really upset because... They say that Asian cooking is superior to white cooking, so they can't be culinary supremacists. Mm. You know, I don't want to we That's don't true. want to disparage the anti SJWs. That's, That's right. right. They're culinary nationalists, not supremacist people. Come on. Let's not. I heard. Let's debate them. I heard Hitler. The marketplace of ideas. I heard Hitler really enjoyed Asian cuisine. He admitted their cuisine is superior to Germanic cuisine. Done. He's just a realist. In an article on MSG from the Skeptical Raptor, they write about a food historian by the name of Ian Mosby, who wrote a 2009 paper titled The Wonton Soup Headache, The Chinese Restaurant Syndrome, MSG and the Making of American Food, 1968 to 1980. Quote, the fear of MSG and Chinese food is part of the U.S.'s long history of viewing the, quote, exotic cuisine of Asia as dangerous or dirty. As Mosby puts it, quote, it was the misfortune of Chinese cooks to be caught with the white powder by their stoves when they once praised flavor enhancer suddenly became a chemical additive. And just the true ultimate irony of this whole thing is that the vast majority of MSG consumed by Americans was due to the U.S. military. <laughs> it was due. It's still in. It's in Doritos. All right. Like, that's it. They've taken over. You know, so if any American who's eaten Doritos they're obviously not sensitive to MSG, but wait, instead, are they cool ranch Doritos? I bet they are. I bet they are. Oh, fuck. I'm just kidding. Those are disgusting. Anyway. All right. So due to the public outcry, a study was conducted by researchers. According to the U.S. News and World Report article, quote, when they injected extremely high doses of MSG directly into newborn mice's abdomens, the mice were likely to develop health issues, including obesity, Stunted physical development and disturbances in brain. Well, there you development. go. This is the greatest study That's of all time. I mean, right. I mean, are, yeah. Can we just accept that? Already accepted. So despite our proclivity for constantly torturing tiny mammals, no substantial data was gained. Again, I'm going to quote from the same article. But despite the fact that humans aren't baby mice, nor do we consume large doses of MSG via belly injections, much of the world took the results as proof that MSG is harmful. MSG was even added to the International Headache Society as a causative factor for headaches. Consuming large doses of MSG via belly injections sounds like a My Strange Addiction episode. I'm surprised <laughs> we haven't seen it yet. So the public went into full-on panic mode. According to the Skeptical Raptor, the Chicago Tribune ran an article with the headline, 
called, quote, Chinese food make you crazy? Question mark. Okay. MSG is number one suspect. We'll find out the answer is no, but apparently it does cause you to write racist headlines. Yeah. What the fuck? It's it's, no kidding. I'm imagining like a Chicago uh, Tribune, like one of those Chinese character cartoons from like 1920s Disney. Yeah. You know, like saying these words. So books are released with such titles as Excitotoxins, The Taste That Kills, and another fun title here, In Bad Taste. The MSG symptom complex. I'm really into the very sober titles. These are going to be very nuanced uh, books. I can already see it. All right. So now on to the section. The dream of MSG is alive in the 90s. Nice. That's here we go. Get out your trapper keepers. It wasn't until 1990s that American scientists started thinking that there may not be anything to this whole Chinese restaurant syndrome, surprisingly. For starters, in China, MSG is often found on restaurant tables, and there was zero effects of the supposed symptoms of Chinese restaurant syndrome for Chinese people. You know, I say fuck MSG shakers to sprinkle on your food. We need DMT shakers, guys. That'll really get your arms and your entire entire body. Yeah, it'll open up your um, third eye like Chris Cantlemo. That guy's got all sorts of good ideas. (laughs) And you know this whole thing. This is just intense fodder for all the race realists among us. And they're just going to say the Chinese are a different species (laughs) because they can safely ingest MSG. They're monsters. Yeah, I think um, I was reading Richard Spencer. uh, Richard Spencer posted an article about how Chinese people can shoot Chinese food directly into their abdomen with a giant syringe and and they're fine. And that that wouldn't happen with the white race. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Truly the superior race. So a randomized double blind study was conducted in 1993 and subsequently published in Food Chemistry and Toxicology. A total of 71 adults were assigned varying amounts of MSG or placebo over a five-day period. The results? The majority of the participants had zero response to MSG and the placebo. No one taking the MSG experienced any of the supposed symptoms of the Chinese restaurant syndrome. More research was conducted and the findings were similar. The researchers concluded that there was no scientific evidence to support Chinese restaurant yes, syndrome. Yes, but Brent, was Go it figure. shot directly into their abdomens at huge mm, doses? Oh, it doesn't count unless you point. do it that way. I didn't. Let me look and Which see. Which is the way most people consume MSG, by the way. Also, it doesn't count unless you're a mouse. you oh, got to inject it into a mouse abdomen. Yep. That's the only way to learn about human beings. All right. So in 2018, the International Headache Society removed MSG from their list of factors that caused headaches. I hope they replaced it with scaremongers peddling racially tinged pseudoscience because I know that gives me a headache and I'm sure it gives a bunch of other people headaches, too. Yeah, let's replace it. So some American chefs have started to actually put MSG shakers back on their tables. But fuck all that. All right. Fuck that, guys. That's that's small potatoes. I say, let's go all in. Let's put it in everything like we do CBD. I, I'm all for that. You know, I admit I'm a <laughs> CBD shill. I mean, from my experience, it's either the greatest placebo ever or just the greatest thing ever. It's one or the other. I don't know which. <laughs> I'm still not sold, though, that needs to go in coffee. I'm just feels like that doesn't make sense. Oh, fuck it. Put it no, in there. Butter, butter should go in your coffee. Yeah, exactly. So despite scientific evidence showing the MSG is not harmful, there are still brands out there who proudly display no MSG on their labels. You know, actually, though, I think they should just combine all the pointless health scares and make labels that say gluten slash MSG slash GMO free. Just do it. Throw it all on there. Or just food free. Yeah, just, no just food. close down. That's really no more food. 
All right. So the author of the U.S. News and World Report article ends by suggesting that MSG is a great alternative to salt because it has two thirds the sodium content. So that's good. She says adding just a sprinkle MSG to meat or vegetables really helps bring out the flavor. What? But whatever. I prefer to take my MSG, as we all know, via injection directly to my belly. And I am a mouse, too. Just let, let you guys know that. Yeah, the problem, though, I mean, there's a simple problem. It's harder to inject the meat and vegetables. That's true, though, <laughs> That's into the tough. belly. That's yep. you need a really chunky thick syringe. Are. Yeah, <sighs> I don't think the words injection and chunky <laughs> no, should ever go together. Is, is MSG in the shakers at Red Robin? Because whatever that is, it makes everything taste a billion times better. Probably is. Probably They're is. just not telling you. All right, so in the Washington Post article, there's a graph by the International Food Information Council that shows how MSG ranks just below sugar, sodium, preservatives, artificial flavors, and colors. It beats out an actual harmful substance in high doses called caffeine. However, mm. GMOs and gluten still rank lower than everything else. So there is still some hope, I guess. Or is there hope? Because in the Washington Post article, Megan Meyer, the director of science communications at the International Food Information Council, says that most people don't accept scientific evidence when it contradicts with their personal feelings. What? Well, you know what? I know. I happen to feel that most people do accept scientific evidence when it contradicts their personal feelings. Boom. All right. Now we're back to square one. So also contradicts me and I will deplatform you, Brent. (laughs) I don't care what Obama says. I'm just going to delete everything Uh, you say when I edit the podcast (laughs) and it'll just leave a big blank. Just guys are reacting to nobody. So people will feel your absence. So also the IFIC's polling reveals that a large amount of consumers do not trust the government or professional healthcare providers. Shocking. Or even the mainstream media for information about the food that is safe for them to eat. Rather, they depend on getting their critical information from higher level expertise such as, quote, friends, family, and health-focused blogs and websites, <laughs> according to Meyer. So, so oh, clearly what we need to do is we need a new government program where covert scientists go undercover as oh, friends and family <laughs> to dispense all this information. <laughs> Not complicated at all. No. Let's pull that off. The skeptical raptor expounds on some of the bigger players in the MSG scare tactics working today. Quote, Joe Mercola, one of the leading purveyors of nonsense science and medicine, calls MSG, quote, the silent killer lurking in your kitchen cabinets. Ooh. Oh, my. <laughs> His claims are based on a belief that MSG is an excitotoxin, which causes a pathological process by which nerve cells are damaged and killed by excessive stimulation by neurotransmitters. I got to say, I'm skeptical of anyone calling themselves the skeptical raptor. I mean, come on. Mercola has a much more professional ring to it, I'd say. Yeah. Like, so I, obviously the man. I is, agree. He's Dr. Mercola, yes. by the way. Is he? Is the uh, raptor a doctor? No. <laughs> I don't care if they can open up doors. They're not that smart. Right. I actually just assumed this this uh, the source here is a, a skeptical Toronto Raptors fan blog. So I was confused right from the beginning. I assumed Mercola was a cough drop, which is, <laughs> I mean, really impressive. Mercola. So this has no science to back it up. But of course, that doesn't stop one Dr. Russell Blaylock, a board certified neurosurgeon. He is the author of the Excitotoxins book mentioned earlier. So fun fact. So Mercola is a proponent of the MSG myth that your nerve cells get overexcited to the, quote, point of damage or death, causing brain damage to varying degrees and potentially even triggering. Oh, did John Jr. write this? Okay, even triggering or worsening (laughs) learning disabilities, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, Gehrig's disease and more, end quote. Given how horrible 
these conditions are. I mean, we got Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Lou Gehrig's, all terrible. I think Mercola needs to stop being coy and fill us in on the and more (laughs) part of that (laughs) sentence. What else else is on this list? (laughs) I was just thinking, if this was true, if you went down to Chinatown, everybody would be disabled. Everybody (laughs) would not remember where they parked their car. They'd be shaking. They couldn't move. But that's not what you see. So, And if this wasn't bad enough, according to Mercola, MSG is the cause of eye damage, obesity, fatigue, headaches, disorientation, depression, etc. So just and more, etc. Bad stuff. Mercola says that up to 40% of the U.S. population is under the evil spell of MSG. According to the skeptical raptor, quote, there is little independent, robust, and unbiased evidence that MSG does anything to nerve cells. In fact, you consume so much glutamate in normal food. If there were things like MSG and neurological issues, it would be so prevalent that the human species would have died out long ago. So that makes sense. Yeah, two big ones are tomatoes, tomatoes and Parmesan. Ah. Both have tons of glutamate. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So in my section, we're going to talk a little bit about vaccines and don't worry you'll see why that ties into msg soon but before that be sure to vaccinate your brain against dr mercola we're going to talk about <laughs> excellent him as well. advice yes. yes and hopefully this is actually the little shot you need for that speaking of things that would have died out long ago many millions more people would have died from malaria polio measles tuberculosis and influenza were not for maybe the greatest invention in all of medical science vaccines. That's weird to me because I would have guessed that taking mistletoe to cure your cancer was the greatest invention of all medical science, but I I learned that on our podcast. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Vaccines are second place. What does vaccination have to do with MSG? Well, you may have thought you were safe from the clutches of the monosodium glutamate industrial complex as long as you stayed away from Panda Express, but you are wrong (laughs) because that shit is tucked away in your vaccines. Oh my God. In all fairness to Panda Express, I think that they are MSG free. <laughs> Irrationally so, but in all seriousness, this has to be the greatest boon to alt medicine shucksters of all time. It would be like if Monsanto Roundup was an ingredient in GMOs. It's incredible <laughs> combining these two things. So according to publichealth.org, MSG is in two vaccines, at least scheduled vaccines. MSG acts as a good means of preserving these vaccines, keeping it effective in a variety of environmental conditions and prolonging its shelf life. That's why it's used. Yeah, and making the flu shots taste delicious too, which is an added benefit. I mean, in terms of benefits, I wish... You know, there's all this talk about how we need to kind of preserve vaccines. I wish we were more concerned with preserving our precious bodily fluids. That's what we need to preserve. I don't care about preserving vaccines. That's the first step onto the route to alternative health enlightenment. Rainwater only. Never, never come. (laughs) And yeah, uh, don't jerk off rainwater or grain alcohol. You can't forget that part of it. That's right. That's really good for you. You can't smell grain without rain. Just keep that in mind. Ah, so the question you're all thinking is, is it safe? Publichealth.org notes that besides the debunked bullshit already covered on this podcast, the FDA, WHO, and UN have all declared MSG to be generally safe. Of course, after a little numerology, you might realize that (laughs) F is two letters after D. A is three letters from D. J is four letters after F. Okay, so stay with me. The abbreviation FDA <laughs> is three letters. So going back, three plus four <laughs> equals seven. M is seven letters after F. 
FDA is one abbreviation. One letter after M is N. Take the H out of WHO for World Health Organization, and you're left with W and O, and you get NWO, which, as we all know, is an abbreviation of New World Order. And who runs the New World Order but the UN? So, God. I hope you all enjoyed that lesson in numerology. And we all know by now, you just can't trust the UN and their white helmet tyranny. You know this, guys. no. And I know for sure, as you say, the WHO, I am not, I'm sure as hell not taking healthcare and safety advice from the who, the band. I just won't. Yeah, they don't so. know anything. I take my advice from Roger Waters about the White Helmets, though. <laughs> yeah, he, he knows what it's yeah. all about. And I mean, you know, it, he does. As we've talked about with the UN, you know, first they came for our national parks. And now they just want our food additives. It's just one thing after another. Yeah, They're never going to stop scum. until we defeat uh. the global tyranny. All right, so since we're fair and balanced, we'll see what the anti-UN patriots have to say about vaccination and MSG in opposition to your neocon hosts. Writing for racist Ron Paul newsletter ghostwriter Lou Rockwell, Dr. Mercola himself tells us in his article titled, Why the War on Salt is Dangerous, quote, Many also experience more immediate side effects from MSG, with a pounding headache being one of the most prominent. While the exact cause of MSG-induced headache remains unclear, Research investigating the matter has demonstrated that MSG, quote, induces a dose-dependent swelling and death of mature neurons. I checked out Mercola's source for this claim, and I shit you not, it links you back to the exact same article only on his website rather than Rockwell's. That was the source. And since Mercola is his own best source... I think it's only fair to say that it's a fact that Mercola is a shithead, and the source for that fact is myself. This whole, this whole thing's it. like quackery inception. And also, yep. Forrest, actually, your method is much more sound because your source is your eyes seeing that he cited oh. the exact same article he wrote. That's pure empiricism. That's yep. all it is. Hume approved. In a good article on Mercola by Brian Smith for Chicago Magazine, the appeal for Mercola is laid out lucidly, quote, One key element of Mercola's appeal, and the reason he is so confounding to some of his critics, is that plenty of the things he advocates are rooted in common sense and even good science. His site, for example, offers a thorough primer on proper hand washing to avoid spreading or catching the flu. Uh, quick, no one tell Pete Hedsek mm, yeah. that uh, I don't want to trigger him. That yeah, would be bad. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah, not for right him. Now. So Mercola is an advocate for common sense and good science. So what the fuck is the problem? Quote, <laughs> In the opinion of David Gorsky, the problem is that Mercola either vastly exaggerates preliminary research or cherry-picks studies that bolster his point of view. For example, his site includes an article by a California doctor titled, HIV does not cause AIDS. Mercola posted a comment at the end of the article, exposure to steroids and the chemicals in our environment, the drugs used to treat AIDS, stress, and poor nutrition are possibly the real causes. Maybe your brain like twitched a bit when you've heard the part, the drugs used to treat AIDS, right? So let me get this straight. You go to the doctor and are diagnosed with AIDS. You're given medication to treat the AIDS mm. and that somehow retroactively causes the AIDS. Okay, got <laughs> well, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's excellent. It's more, Thank I mean, you. it's a little more complicated than that because the evil doctors, right? They find dupes who come into their clinic and then they travel back in time and inject them and inject their bellies full of, of AIDS medications. And oh. So that's, that's where AIDS really comes from. Oh. Yeah. And speaking of traveling back in time to someone that's now dead, I don't know about you guys, but I always consult my personal doctor, Dr. LaRouche, about anything to do with AIDS. So I will 
We'll get back to you when he says. He's not dead in my heart. So Smith asked Mercola why he believes that mainstream medicine and the FDA are always on his ass. He's always getting letters from the FDA saying, you can't <laughs> so do annoying. this, you can't do that. Oh, happens. Can't mind their own damn business. Yeah. <laughs> Mercola responds with, quote, there are enormous sums of money involved. This is a huge collusion between government and industry. They leverage the federal regulatory agencies against us to make us look like we're breaking the law. Yeah. It's that isolationist monosodium glutamate industrial complex coming after him. Well, you got Plus, it no almost collusion. right. No collusion, it's guys. the globalist monosodium glutamate industrial mm, yeah. complex. Oh, yeah, true. Oh, yeah. So astute followers of the podcast will recognize a continuing pattern that practically everyone covered on this show is a conspiracy theorist and a victim of a they. Always. Always. And another thing we've covered is that there is collusion between government and industry in a lot of cases. But people like Mercola take away from the actual cases of it by focusing right. on how AIDS meds cause AIDS. That just <laughs> harms like the, the legitimate cases right. where industry and government are working kind of together to line their own pockets. Right. So Mercola tells Smith, quote, there are virtually no safety studies done on vaccines. Oh, man, that's a real problem. Uh, I didn't none, know that. None. So as an example to put in perspective just how full of shit Dr. Mercola is, Take the case of rotavirus vaccines, known by the medical community as one of the more risky and dangerous vaccines out there. Rotavirus is a virus that creates severe inflammation of the digestive system, which can especially kill infants if they're not properly treated. And in fact, yours truly was infected by rotavirus at nine months old, and I've dealt with fucked up digestive issues ever since. So too bad I didn't get the fucking vaccine. Forrest, you should just go on Bill Maher and try and steer him back to the uh, vaccines are good path. Yeah, what's up with Bill Maher on vaccines? Wow. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, still doing it. That is, um, there's a lot (laughs) you could say, but that is one of the bad things that he says. But I mean, I think we're missing the point, Forrest. You don't have any vaccine headaches. Oh, that's true. I think that's the real... So sure, you can't eat anything, but you don't have a headache. That's good. In very rare cases, the rotavirus vaccine might cause an emergency situation known as, and I might butcher this, into susception, which can fuck up your digestive system way worse than rotavirus and kill you a lot quicker. So see? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. According to Live Science, the vaccine Rotatech was linked by researchers to possibly causing into susception in one of every 65,000 vaccinations. This is despite Rotatech passing large-scale clinical trials as to its safety and efficacy. So it's not totally clear that there's a causal relationship in the first place, but there's strong enough correlation that the medical community and CDC sounded the alarms. And for a pretty good reason, an earlier vaccine known as Rotashield was linked to causing intussusception in one of every 10,000 vaccinations. And that was enough to pull it from the market. This is this is just a vaccine false flag. I don't buy any of this. <laughs> so compare that to the fact that between 2006 and 2011, rotavirus vaccination prevented 65,000 children from being hospitalized by rotavirus like I was. That, that's good. Crunch the numbers of, you know, between risk and reward. You're just a dirty utilitarian that doesn't care about goodwill. That's that's true. So let's compare reality to the Mercola conspiracy theory. A, even among the most widely known to be dangerous vaccines, such as these rotavirus examples, the benefits outweigh the risks, as Brent said, both in terms of net health outcomes and net health care cost savings for the consumer and or government. B, rather than a cabal keeping Rotashield on the market to keep their precious money racket going, it was pulled despite that at worst for every 9,999 successful vac- vaccinations, there was one bad one. Yeah, well, I, okay, that's, that makes sense and everything, but I, 
have an issue. Sorry. And it's a numerology issue again. Mm. So if what we want to do here is we want to start by taking that 9999 number and we want to subtract 9000. The mark of Herman from Cain. Those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking immediately when I said that. Um, so you subtract 9000 from those vaccinations and you, you're left with 999. But if you guys understand, like if you flip that number upside down, you mm. get the number of the beast. So mm. that's not good. Yeah, um, that's a problem already. And 9999 was the more advanced Herman Cain economic tax policy where that extra nine was 9% of your soul. (laughs) Straight to Herman Cain's pockets. All right. So vaccinations work and even the most dangerous ones work well enough to deliver a net benefit to society. But what about the preservatives and stabilizers used in vaccines other than MSG? Where does this shit come from? What are the alien origins from which they spring? <laughs> well, according to the CDC, you can find these deadly substances in such mysterious and unexplored places as fish, drinking water, <gasps> infant formula, jello, eggs, the human body. I don't find this very impressive because, of course, the human body contains these substances. They've been injected with vaccines oh, their whole life. Of course, they're in there. Again, vaccine found, false flag. Sorry. You found the it. flaw to the reasoning right there. Good job, Dylan. All right. So the truth is that you're exposed to way, way, way more of the same stuff in your daily life than in the vaccines. Among the most concerning substances on the CDC's list, MSG is nowhere to be found. What? But thimerosal mercury, egg proteins, and formaldehyde get honorable mentions as being problematic, but not as problematic as not including them. So you should be happy (laughs) as fuck that some of these substances called residual inactivating ingredients and residual antibiotics are used. Otherwise, you'd be at risk for serious bacterial, viral, and fungal infections. And as somebody who's struggling with a particularly fucked up and bizarre fungal infection right now, all I can say is, please... Put as much of this shit as you can into my next vaccine because I don't want to go through this ever again. Yeah. And honestly, as just a side note here, and I'm just speaking for Forrest for some reason, um, if you are going to administer the vaccination to Forrest, could you please also first take LSD, sir or ma'am, to study your hands? That's the least you can do. (laughs) And the most you could do is trepan yourself first and then drop LSD in the fun hole you just made. That's the most you can do. The CDC notes that thimerosal is different than methylmercury, which is what we normally associate with the word mercury. Oh, damn. So T-1000 from Terminator 2 wasn't made up of thimerosal then. Shit, I was wrong the whole time. I will <laughs> adjust my been feelings about that movie. T2, so T2 is an amazing movie. I don't want to change it. But uh, yeah. Terminator 3 should have just been the kind of the T-1000 comes back in time and just finds the vaccination plant and just dissolves <laughs> in the big vat of vaccines. <laughs> And then it ends, and then, oh, God. <laughs> That's how they get us. It would have been better than the actual Terminator 3. Yes. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, while thimerosal mercury isn't, you know, good for the human body, in the vaccines, it's in such a small amount, 0.01 to 0.0003% of the vaccine, to be exact, and unlikely to build up in the body because it's processed by your metabolism in a different and much more efficient manner than methylmercury, the FDA has found that there's no recorded adverse health effects established other than minor local reactions at the injection site. To top it all off, most vaccines do not even contain it in the first place these days, and the FDA is working to eventually eliminate it from all vaccines. To put it into even more perspective, methylmercury, the dangerous stuff, 
was used to make hats. Yeah. And people wore that shit on their head all day. I'm not saying it was good. And a lot of people who made hats, they didn't have a really good time. But it didn't <laughs> collapse civilization, is what I'm saying. Right. And that was the dangerous, dangerous stuff. So I think the uh, thimerosal or whatever it's called, I think it's going to be fun. It just led to mad tea parties. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. And then the other thing, uh, <laughs> egg protein. I mean, that's only a concern for people with egg allergies, I believe. How dare you? I am a vegan. Eggs are the deepest of my concern of my life. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not that big. Brent, 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 you shouldn't worry. I mean, you know, we're all degenerate liberals here, and so are you, um, because we're talking about human eggs. Oh, the, yeah, we the don't ones care that we found them. in the local Planned Parenthood dumpster. That so is this acceptable. Is, yeah. Yeah, this is totally <laughs> legit. And then there's formaldehyde, which, you know, isn't very nice, but it's also so d- diluted that it's not even concerned because check this out your body itself produces much more. Naturally, Ooh, it's like DMT I'm full of formaldehyde. If you rub your face <laughs> on a carpet or just breathe in the air in Las Vegas, you're probably going to get way more formaldehyde in your system than your vaccine. Just uh, keep that you know, mind. I just keep meaning to break my habit of constantly rubbing my face onto carpet. I just assumed <laughs> it was customary, especially when visiting guests at home at a dinner party. Do you guys don't do that? It's funny. It's funny that you mention this because as someone who had to care for a very sick cat who used the carpet as a bathroom way more than I would have liked. I just realized how much formaldehyde I have sucked up making sure I got the smell out. I have <laughs> I have been nose first in carpet quite a lot. And so I, I must be chock oh, full man. of formaldehyde. All right. And that's it. Thimerosal and formaldehyde are not even as bad as you think. And they're certainly way worse for you than MSG. So if you can take your mercury yeah. shot like a champ, surely you can do the same for MSG. And so who wants some Chinese food, guys, now that we're done? Hey, as long as it's a buffet, I'm down. Especially that buffet next to that closed Kmart. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, we are done with our episode on MSG. So, Brent, Forrest, what did you learn today's episode? What most stuck out to you? You want to go first, Brent? Yeah, sure. I was just going to say that I, I definitely learned that MSG is harmless as long as you don't inject it directly into your belly and you're a mouse. So that's fine. Also, I learned, I already knew this actually, but Chinese buffets are gross. You're wrong, Dylan. I'm so sorry. I'm just kidding. They're not, they're not all gross, but certain ones are pretty gross. Let's just say they're, they're that. Pre- I'm going to say they're pretty gross. Yeah, they're pretty bad. I mean, buffet buffet is a precarious institution. Oh, it like is. any buffet. It, I, I, I went uh, with my family to one and you go at like you know in the midwest or whatever like illinois and you go at like th- we went at like 3 p.m so that is also not you don't go to buffets when there's like it's not like a meal time yeah that is i remember tasting some sort of cheesecake that had must it tasted like mustard i don't know what i was eating with the sushi it was like pieces of rubber I don't, it was very gross i went to i don't know if i've told the story on the podcast i went to the i'm gonna i'm gonna name drop them because they deserve it i went to the luxor buffet for my Ooh, birthday fancy. and the first thing I got was a piece of chicken and I opened it up and it was totally raw inside just pink 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 and you do not ah, sushimi. eat raw chicken and so we just left that's what happens at a buffet uh, just put MSG on it Dylan you would have been fine just sprinkle a little I would not be alive to do this podcast today I think that's true <laughs> and then they would and then if I used MSG they would use that as part of their anti MSG baloney so I didn't really learn anything but it It got me thinking a lot about mainstream medicine versus alternative health. I think one of the issues at the root of of the appeal for the alternative health movement and people like Dr. Mercola is people have ailments that are very hard to diagnose and are very vague. And they'll go to their doctors and the doctors can't really help them a lot of the time. 
And so then they become mistrustful of the doctors. Like I just had a recent experience, like I mentioned earlier, I got this fungal infection and I believed I had a fungal infection. And I'm actually the worst person at diagnosing myself. So, (laughs) you know, all this time, always misdiagnosing myself, but came up with the right diagnosis. And it wasn't concerning to the doctors I was seeing for a while because all I had was a little bit of like tongue thrush and they didn't think it was bad as I believed it was. And it took a long time to finally be referred to an infectologist. And sure enough, they found it in my blood, antibodies for some kind of fungus, possibly histoplasmosis. And I can see the frustration, but at the same time, I got to understand that the doctors I was seeing, whether my primary care physician or the emergency room people, they were going on the objective evidence as they saw it. It wasn't like they were just completely unconcerned about me. Right. And See, I understand that. Like, I can appreciate that, but I can understand that if someone else is in that position, because to be completely honest and frank, um, looking up antifungal foods and alternative like therapies, or that actually helped me more than, than what I got out of the physicians in this case. And I can see that happening to where it can create like a distrust of mainstream medicine when in fact, mainstream medicine altogether is the best thing we have for combating these things. And right now I'm taking, I'm taking antifungal drugs and that's what I needed in the beginning. And of course that's part of the regimen too. So what about you, Dylan? Did you learn anything today? I think the most fascinating part of this for me was learning about the military industrial complex angle and how (laughs) literally most of the MSG Americans were eating until the sixties when this whole scare happened was from frozen food and canned food (laughs) and the you know, the the food, the, the food industry was really where we were getting most of our MSG. But bec- we didn't think about that. We didn't think about the chemicals that were or we didn't think about the food additives that were in like frozen and processed food. Uh, so we never considered that they had this, that they had MSG in them. We associated that with the Chinese restaurants. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they got the bad rap. And, you know, like I, I think. If somebody said this about like MREs, for example, like I, I don't think we would have jumped the gun in quite the same way because it's like, no, it's the military. They know what they're doing. <laughs> um, so I just thought that was the most fascinating part personally. And one final last minute announcement. I've got a new cat. Yeah. Her name is Alphador. She's adorable. Has she been and ordained? You all deserve to know yeah. that. Uh, not yet. Okay. Where that's Bishop coming, will do it, you know, like one step at a time. I'm surprised she's Took been in wasn't our house there, for about 24 hours. It's going to take some time. <laughs> so that's a little tidbit for everyone out there. And on that note, we are done. <laughs> Thank you for listening to None Dare Call It Ordinary. You can find us on Twitter at NDCIO, Instagram at None Dare Call It Ordinary, and send us an email at None Dare Call It Ordinary at gmail.com. For only $1 a month, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash None Dare Call It Ordinary. For information on all our episodes, as well as links to our YouTube channel and Discord server, head over to our website at NoneDareCallItOrdinary.com. As always, we ask that you please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever your podcasts are served.